Hey everybody, it's Ian King, founder of King Sports International, author of a number of books on training and innovator of many concepts in training used throughout the world. Today's huddle, we're going to be talking about the relevance, the role of the overhead squat as a testing tool. I've got with me on the call a number of my coaches, they'll be sharing their insights into this. So... The, the trigger for this topic was I was in uh, New Zealand on the weekend, uh, gone, and doing a seminar with a phenomenal group. We're very impressed with the, their commitment to training and their, their openness to learning. Uh, it was in a CrossFit facility there in Auckland, a great gr- group of people. And this question was raised, and I didn't feel it was appropriate in, in that context to go too deep into it. So I want to take a moment now to answer the question that was raised in more depth. So before we get uh, deep into it, I always like to start with some sort of historical context or historical insights and understand the history of, of the world, so to speak. So to that effect, the first question I'm going to ask the coaches is... Historically, what was your first awareness of the use of the overhead squat in training? I'm not talking about as a testing tool, I'm talking about in training. Where, where was your first awareness of it and what was its role? What's your first? My, first? my first awareness of it was in Olympic lifting, um, obviously as part of the snatch training for yeah overhead squatting, um, and it was more done in terms of... Uh, um, you know, snatch balance and all those kinds of things, drop snatches, etc. Rather than just you know doing overhead squats per se, that's where my first um, understanding of it came from. Excellent. Who else? Oh, same. I'd never seen Olympic lifters doing it. To be honest with you, so I hadn't seen it done as a, a general exercise until more recent times. So it would only be to improve the, the snatches and overall. Fantastic, Cole. Any other coaches with historical insights? Mine would be um, more similar to, to Mitchell's, more through an exposure to uh, to Olympic lifting, um, and utilised at the at the college level for uh, for football players. So it would appear, and I certainly share the same experiences. It would appear that the historical role of the lift has been as a support exercise for technical development in the snatch. So in essence, predominantly the domain of the Olympic lifter and, and other strength athletes using the Olympic lifts. So, my next question. When was your first exposure to it as a testing tool? And before we get into that, I want to say from the outset that when I share my thoughts, there's no intent to offend any persons. Having said that, I've got no um, desire to withhold my thoughts with, uh, in the fear of doing so, but certainly no intent. And obviously, coaches, I encourage you to be discreet. So when was the first exposure you had to it as a testing device without naming names? Sure. Go for it, Carl. Oh, you go, Mitchell. Okay, my first my, my first exposure to it was actually the KSI camp. 
Um, I, some, some athletes came, or some people came in to do our camp one year a number of years ago and uh, were talking about it. So that, that was actually my first exposure. Uh, I'm so far removed these days from what, what the trend is um, as that I didn't hear about it until a student came into our KSI coaching program talking about it. So that was my first exposure. So just to clarify, Mitchell, it wasn't a KSI teachings, it was a person coming to a KSI course. Yeah, they came into our course, exactly, and they were talking about it. And it was one year in particular, and there was more than one. So I, I guess the, the, the dominant trend from the market has started just before that. Okay, so Definitely what, not teaching. Yeah, what year was that, Mitchell? Was it was it 09? Oh, I'm a bit, bit rusty on memory. It could have been 2009. There might be others on the call that could confirm. I'd, probably, I'd agree with that, Mitch. So you started to, to see it um, permeate the industry to a greater extent, become more of a dominant trend around there. Any other persons sharing on their first awareness of this as a testing device? Sure. I reckon it'll be, for me, I went to um, a weekend course, and that was the first time we came across it. So that was, um, I would guess, 2007, 2008. And that was just a... a well, I guess a squat, and then there was, I guess it may have branched off to be overhead, but at that time it was just a squat to test for everything. John? Yeah, my first exposure was the very first uh, certification uh, weekend course that I did to get certified, and uh, they had it as the thing that you had to do to each client before you worked with them. So what year was that, John? That was 2000. Excellent. So my first exposure to that was somewhere in the 90s. Uh, it was by a, a person on the seminar tours, and I'm not sure whether they were actually committed to it or not, or whether they were just sharing a trend. Uh, my response, I nearly fell over backwards. And um, I shared my thoughts with anyone who asked, but... It's gone on a lot further since then. In fact, there's, you know, we, if you do a seminar these days, it's almost inevitable that someone will make reference directly or indirectly to it as a testing tool. So let's get real specific about this now. And if, if you are asked, um, well, people don't usually ask. But anyway, they, they tell. Uh, and the reason I, 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 I even uh, stopped the conversation and go a bit deep on it is that I don't want to be seen to be endorsing something that I might not be endorsing. So I, I don't even answer their questions when it's built in as an assumption of my endorsement. So the question I'm asking the coaches, and we've had no prior discussion in relation to the topic of the seminar, I'm just putting this on, on the coaches cold. What are your thoughts as the overhead testing, overhead squad as a, a testing tool? Sure. Well, the one of the biggest challenges with it is it's an integrative test, so there's so many variables at one time getting put under the microscope in a test, so there's so many things it can be, and the amount of the range required to do that well is far beyond what most people are capable of, so it seems a pretty high end for a low-level test would be the best way to put it. Very polite. Well done, Carl. Anyone else? Um, yeah, I would also say from from my exposure to it, from the different certifications that I've gotten, 
is that it's implemented so people buy sessions. So they do it, you point out all the stuff that they were doing incorrectly, and you have a whole list of things that, like, let's say they're feet externally rotate or they hybrix in their back then you have to foam roll this and then you have to stretch that so you're basically the trick is is that you're showing them that they need you as a trainer to help fix them while being able to sound smart by rattling off a bunch of anatomical terms at the same time so it's kind of like a marketing tool to get people to buy sessions Excellent point. There's a, lot of, there's a lot of marketing going on there, and we'll, we'll touch on that. That's a great insight, especially then, from the West Coast. And then also, I mean, what I would see is people would have their clients do the overhead squat as a test, and then the first thing they would have them do is do a regular squat, or they would never even have them do the movement. So... Yeah, like Carl was saying, they'd have them do this difficult movement as the test, but then not even do it later or not progress them up to it. It was just kind of no point, no no rhyme to the reason, you know? Excellent point, John. Who do we have left? Uh, mate, I, um, I think it's... An absolute load of rubbish. There is so many... I agree with what all the coaches have said, and it's basically a test um, that people usually implement, coaches or trainers, because they cannot think for themselves. They're a collection of other people's opinions. Everyone else is doing it, so they better do it, so they're cool. Um, and it's really, really sad for anyone they're exposed to. And it, I mean, if you're in Olympic lifting, particularly doing technical work on the snatch, absolutely, you know, work on it. But if you're not doing that, you're uh, kidding yourself. So accurate. Mike, did you share? Is that is that you laughing in the background, Mike? Yeah. What better? What better? Way... You probably said enough, haven't you? You just just laugh. <laughs> what better way to to um, to tell someone how messed up they are than than to introduce them to an exercise or a, or an activity that they've never done before, and then point out all all of the faults, and then tell them you can fix them. You know, I'm, I'm going to introduce like tightrope walking as a um, as a new testing device, and if you and if you fall down, I'm going to tell you how fucked up you are. <laughs> and Mike, let me guess. You've probably trademarked it by now, and you've got the in-the-box toolkit. I've got e-books and videos, yes. So it would appear, coaches, that you're not huge fans of this. So let, let, me, um, let me go through three points. Well, first of all, let me make it real clear. I've been fairly um, shattered by the rise of this uh, during the last 15-plus years. It's been, I guess, sad to see the lack of intelligence uh, used by people in not only accepting and endorsing it, but actually using it. So let's go through three key points I see as some serious um, issues. Uh, before uh, saying that, does it, uh, does it have some relevance? Of course it does, but 
I liken it to taking, like, you know, my kids go kart to a, a Formula One race, and I'm up against um, all the other big names, and I'm pedalling around in my go kart. So, does my go kart move? Yes. Could I get around the circuit? Yes. Is it the best tool I could use to go around the Formula One track? Uh, no. Would it be smart to race in my go kart? Uh, no. So, first of all, as a test, I'm going to give you an overhead squat and I'm going to be able to tell you your flexibility and other physical limitations all from watching you doing one activity, which is a compound movement. And from that, I'll be able to determine your flexibility limitations amongst other things. Now, I know you've already touched upon this, but I want to get this real clear. For those few people who are actually listening uh, with an intent to learn, I want them to help understand. What are the chances of anybody being able to interpret even flexibility alone from a compound strength exercise? Any takers on that one? Very little. But surely, Carl, surely you'll be able to tell which muscles are tight by watching me do a strength exercise. So there'd be the exception. I mean, you get people who are super, super tight, you can go as a general comment, they're tight, but you definitely wouldn't be able to, to pick out everything. And especially if someone's drilled or well-versed in the lift, so they've actually got a, you know, a background in the lift and have rehearsed it, then you're not going to see a great deal because they've rehearsed the movement. Whereas if you took them and actually looked at what the limiting factors are in isolation, you'd get a much clearer picture. So when you say in isolation, are you suggesting that to test flexibility, you, you should actually look at flexibility, not an integrated strength movement? That is correct, yes. <laughs> well, that's breakthrough. <laughs> Anyone else got a comment on, on, on the ability of anybody to look at a compound strength exercise and conclude on joint specific ranges? Oh, oh, just go ahead. I have a comment on that. Go ahead, John. I found ever since I uh, was introduced to KSI that when um, I see I have people squat and I have people deadlift, instead of um, you know pointing out all the things that they're doing wrong and then immediately tell them telling them why and then what they need to foam roll and then what they need to stretch, um, about ninety nine percent of the time I I could ask them, can you do it without doing this? And then they just do it the next rep, totally fine, without having to do all the million steps that certain tests, you know, tell them to do. And I find that way way more efficient, way more effective, and you know, way more fast. Are you and then the client doesn't think that they're all messed up too? Are you suggesting that there might be a skill factor that, with some 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 simple cueing, could be able to change the outcome? Yes, cueing. Yeah, simple cueing, one cue at a time, and repetition. So, are you suggesting then that the performance of someone new to an overhead squat is more of a reflection of their understanding of what to do than it is actually their physiological um, traits? Yep. Good, John. Excellent, Mitchell. You were going to say, Mitchell. Just that. The, the people who believe you can assess flexibility through a through a compound strength movement, it's probably more reflective of their own flexibility and commitment to, and understanding to flexibility training 
than it is anything else, which is kind of sad for the people they allegedly guide. Mm. So true. So true. So, on, on that subject... Just to, add, just to add to what Carl was saying a bit earlier, um, flexibility in and of itself, I would say there's a skill component to it. So how can you accept, how can you how can you assess flexibility as a as a skill in a compound movement? It doesn't make sense. Then that's where you get into the, the heart of the matter. What are the fa- factors and variables that will contribute to the ability to perform an overhead squat? So we've got familiarity with the exercise. We've got prior training experience. We've got Balance, length, strength, tension, equipment, lever length ratios. But all of a sudden, a personal trainer is going to be able to come to an astute judgment. So let me go back in time and and test everyone's memory. Do you remember the sit and reach test? Yep. Yes. Was and, and, and arguably still is the most popular flexibility test on the planet. But everyone knew the major limitation. What was it intended to test? Allegedly, hamstrings. Excellent. And everyone became pretty pretty aware of what the limitation was in terms of what 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 might be involved, what other things might contribute to, which would undermine the accuracy of it as a hamstring test. In the back. So there's more than one joint involved. Phenomenal. So how many joints have we got going in the overhead squat? Crazy man. Well, if you include the bending at the spine for most people as a joint, you've probably got about 30. Yeah, yeah. So we, we, we understood the limitations of a sit and reach test about 30 years ago, but then we're throwing in something that's even more complex and, and somehow we're all wiser. Yeah, but the sit and reach test wasn't functional. Ah, feet on the ground. Uh, I, I'm also not sure. Did anyone trademark the sit and reach test? Not yet, but I'm on it. <laughs> So before we leave this point, I'm going to read this something I wrote in 2003 or earlier. He said, what I'm going to share with you here may be somewhat of a surprise. The two main theories as to why some people can't squat deeply, a lack of flexibility, racial limb length and trunk length, I agree with these, although I don't believe we can always know what the limiting factor is. And sometimes we don't need to know. However, in addition to these two points, consider this. When... I train a person who self-reports inability to get low. The majority of time I can get them to squat deeply within a few reps. <coughs> most are in total shock when they're able to do it. So what's the story? I have a theory that most lifters develop a certain technique for squatting and stick to it. It doesn't mean they can't physically do it differently. It means that they think they can't do it differently. After all, a squat is simply a combination of movements of different joints. So where do they get this movement pattern from? For most... For most, I've just lost my place here. For most, I suspect it's a case of imitating or performing what they think is the way they're meant to squat. Combine this with the adaptation they're making to the use of excessive loading and you get some terrible patterns of movement. Many have, uh, may have had some coaching, but the coaching was either limited or etc, etc, etc. Moving on to a more relevant part.
So what I've talked about there is previous movement patterns. And in essence, when you look at someone doing an exercise, it's a reflection of their movement history more than it is any other factor. In other words, the overhead squat as a testing tool is redundant, useless and dangerous in terms of its interpretation. Which brings us to point two. The actual application of the overhead squat to every person in the population. So it's fair to say that the majority of people entering into training environments in the, well, not just the fitness, but also the sports industry globally, are exposed to and uh, expected to perform an overhead squat. So what are your thoughts of that? Six to 66, let's all do the overhead squat. Is that what you're doing with your clients? Does everybody, everyone get the overhead squat? No. So what are your thoughts of, of having a, a, a blanket approach that everybody, at least in testing, will do the overhead squat? It'd be a wonderful thing if you're in business looking to make money because most people can't do it. You've got a solution, as John talked about. You can book sessions and it'll be a wonderful business model. As far as serving the world goes, um, you're stealing from it, not healing it. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. Any other comment on that? So, to be more specific, how many people do you know could safely execute an overhead squat? In, in the commercial gyms, when I've seen people do it, I, I've never seen them do it without an excessive, um, you know hyperextension of their back I've never seen it done so you're basically saying John from your observations it's about 0% of the population could safely perform an overhead squat I, I've, I've, I've never seen it oh, I would agree I would agree with you near to, near to an absolute majority of the population cannot perform the movement safely because that would be a litigation waiting to happen wouldn't it See, this is where the problems begin. There are very few people on the planet who can even raise their arms above their head and keep their spine in the same place, shape it was before they raised their arms above their head. Majority of people can't even get their arms to 90 degrees parallel to the ground before their, their spine shape starts changing. And then there's, let's just say someone can do it. I mean, should they even be doing it, you know, compared to what their goal is anyways? even if they could do it. So what you were saying, is it relevant? Yeah. That's a whole discussion. We'll come back to that one. <laughs> so my observations is, is, is this is what's going to happen. They're going to arch their back. They're going to flex forward. Um, yeah, you might get away with it, but if you were to be objective, um, you know, use that word scientific, which in, for me means objective, um, and, and do it if it was safe and efficient and required, it, it would undermine the most decision to do it. In other words, there are very few people who I would ask to do an overhead squat. So just as a quick survey of this group, uh, Mitchell, how many of your clients are overhead squatting? Um, one at the moment, and he's only doing it for technical work in the match, and he's a former, he's a former uh, Olympic lifter as well. So uh, that's it. Pretty small percent. There we go, Mitchell. So Mike, sorry. Yeah, definitely. Less than 1%. And Carl? 
And John? None, none of mine are. Well, what's wrong with you blokes? Aren't you too concerned? Like, I mean, aren't you concerned that you know, everyone else is doing it? Isn't that a worry for you? It is. Well, I could probably sell some Olympic lifting shoes if I started doing it. That's not a bad <laughs> idea. John? Well, people don't know how to teach the squat, and then people don't know how to do the squat. So, And then people also, um, you know, lack the you know knowledge and flexibility to go to actually go heavy and a lot of people don't really want to try hard in the first place so an overhead squat gives people a chance to kind of do something different and go a lot lighter and then feel good about themselves doing it yeah so trainers like and um you know trainees sort of entertainment yeah so, so far we've established that as a, a testing device, it's, it's, it's pretty useless, uh, if you were to be accurate about it. And uh, as a safety exercise, just, just executing the move before stop, there are very few people who can do it with any level of tech, technical correctness that would justify, from a safety perspective, them continuing on it. Now let's talk about the loading. What if someone goes in there and goes loading on it? How are we travelling with people to doing you know loaded overhead squats because you know the the, the moves become popular and and the, the combine that with a person who wants to go heavy. I mean, it's unlikely that they're going to have any degree of technical correctness in their position and they're going heavy. Yeah, it's definitely out there. I've seen it. People with their pictures and doing it, and in a couple of the gyms, and they're doing it, and it's something they're consciously attempting to improve the loading on, thinking it's great for them, and unfortunately, there's people who have, I guess, gone and got their different certifications, and I guess they're academically coaches, that they would, yeah, use this and recommend it for the cure for everything, so if you've got any challenge at all, you need a squat. And if you've got a, any upper body challenge, it needs to be an overhead squat because that will address all your flexibility challenges, which is a pretty scary, scary world. Yeah, I agree. And I just hope it's not my academic colleagues that are endorsing this. That would be very concerning. Um, yeah, and with, with the certifications, the, the instructors, I mean, the whole thing is to sell sessions. So what they tell you to do is... There's no set number of reps that they do. You just have them go and do that overhead loaded squat until you find the postural deviation. And then you're even further instructed that if they don't have any postural deviations doing the overhead squat, then you just have them single leg squat until one comes out. And then you can tell them, oh, this happened when you did this. Um, you need to be doing this. It'd be so it just, there's no end to it. It'd be like doing a base jumping course where they took you to the highest building in the world to test you what level you should start at. <laughs> or you know, abseiling, let's go off the tallest mountain on, in the land um, on our first day just to see where we should start you at. So, so coming back to John's point, and by the way, we're going to get crucified on this one because, my God, this is now so um, mainstream that it must be right. Uh, coming back to John's point about functionality or uh, you know, transfer would be more important to me uh, rather than uh, meeting someone's definition of functionality. But under what circumstances, uh, for who, for whom is an overhead squat relevant for? Any takers on that? I, I mean, like, not, you know, would it give them a training effect? That's, it's not about 
is, is, is it an effective way to get traffic? I'm not talking about for whom is it an optimal method to absorb their limited training time in the gym to contribute to their sport? I think we already covered it. It would just be that small exposure of Olympic lifters as a supplementary if they, they need it. But otherwise, I don't see any value for anyone else. Olympic lifters some of the time, very small percentage of the time. Excellent. Any other takers? Yeah, I would say an Olympic lifter, if that was... Um, if you had previously identified that part of the Olympic lift as one of their weak points, and, and actually, and I can tell you now that you know the, the recovery, the snatch recovery, is uh, is only a part of a, of a lift, and therefore it's not a dominance. Any other takers? I mean, everyone in the world do it. There must be more reasons. There must be more. Um, you know, surely it's oh my god, functional. And I even heard to say the word. Um, I would prefer the word transfer. So you're telling me, coaches, you're training there, you're representing quite a few different countries, you're telling me that you, you can't see any other application for it? Unless you've got a friend who's a physio or a chiropractor and you're trying to throw them some work on the casual, but yeah, otherwise <laughs> probably not. Uh, so, you know, in conclusion of that, if you wanted to, to do it, fantastic, but certainly don't tell us you're doing it to improve a certain aspect of your sport or, or your functionality because there's some... Certain questions about the accuracy or relevance of that over and above the, the trade-off between risk and reward, which is another subject in itself. So in, in response to my desire to share some insights into this topic of the relevance of overhead squatting as a testing tool, is there any points that we haven't covered? Okay, so in a nutshell, if you want to take your go-kart to the racetrack, fantastic. Knock yourself out. Uh, if you want to contribute to the physical therapist's client list, fantastic. If you want to obtain a uh, fairly inaccurate, irrelevant conclusion about the physical limitations of the body, knock yourself out. However, if you want to be optimal, understand the body a little bit better, I'd suggest there are far more relevant and effective tools um, and I've held that view consistently since you know, it's probably nearly 20 years ago that I got first got exposed to the, de- the discussion of this, and it just grew into a commercial machine since then. So it would appear that we've covered the topic. I trust it's been of value. I understand the majority of people listening to this uh, will be so ab- abhorred by the, the topic that they would switch off because it is so contrary to the, uh, to the mainstream habit that it can't be good, it can't be right, and you probably need to turn it off earlier. So if you're still listening, congratulations. And we trust it's been of value. We'll talk in the next huddle.